When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, welcome to Tyrus and Teams, a spooky episode. <laughs> Starring Tyrus <laughs> and Cat Teams, a spooky, spooky edition of Tyrus and Teams. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, you were right. Yeah. Before you, Tyrus, you <laughs> wow. said before we started, you said she's usually pretty proud of her she's Halloween intro. She's pretty intros. proud of her Halloween. She like, usually goes pretty amazing, hard. This is absolutely amazing Halloween show. Uh, and of course, wow. Just wow, Devin, you just really. You I, went there. I try. I try. You, you know, there. I love the holidays. You so do. This you, will go you out, went full you know. Regalia. Yeah. You went all in. And uh, we don't use the term regalia uh, mm-hmm. loosely on the show. Well, I mean. As if we need an introduction, but this is yeah. Tyrus and Tim. <laughs> this I'm is Tyrus. special report. Yeah, <laughs> Captain Tim and our producer and apparently DJ extraordinaire, Devin the Halloween. Uh, so we'll just go. So I'm excited, um, and I don't want this to be conflated with, yes, we're celebrating Halloween. Right, right. I don't Halloween want this. Don't, let's not off, get it twisted. But Halloween is based off legends. Right. Mm-hmm. And stories from witches, ghosts, et cetera, and all kinds of things, and uh, periods of time in our history and and whatnot. So uh, it just coincides with what I is an amazing opportunity. So one of the biggest legends in the world uh, is Bigfoot. Whether you call it Bigfoot, Yeti, Sasquatch, Tyrus, whatever it is <laughs> that you want to call it, um, it is a world phenomenon. So I think, yeah. um, and it's exciting. Um, at the prospects of it, you know, because you always want it'd be nice to ask someone else, how the hell did we get here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that would be yeah. nice. You know, what have you seen? What are your stories? What is what is your history? If, you know, is that kind of a being? And um, so I have been fascinated. Our, our guest, Matt Moneymaker from uh, the show Finding Bigfoot. I don't think I missed an episode. I think I've watched. Uh, I've always been fascinated by it. Um, I was. I remember when I was a kid in L.A., it was like Channel 5 was the first time I saw the famous walk, which was the anniversary, mm-hmm. October 20th, of, of what they believe now was a female Bigfoot walking across. And basically looks like the guy on the horse was trying to catcall, and she just kind of gave him a look like, <laughs> yeah. you're not my type, Riz. <laughs> not and just kept going. But that's probably the most conclusive. I mean, there's been other videos and stuff, but you really can't argue that. And, um, well, no one better than probably discuss that than Matt. So, um yeah, let's bring on. We yeah, have Matt yeah. Moneymaker from the show yeah. Finding Bigfoot on Animal Planet, and he is the president of Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, or BFRO. So welcome, Hello. Matt, to the program. Yeah, welcome, Matt. Yeah, this thank is, you so much. Oh, thank you. This is so exciting, right? I mean, so I'm a lifetime is, fan. Yeah, yeah, but also we get all kind of you know experts at Fox, whatever. Big, not the like world renowned Bigfoot expert. This is like the most excited. Brett Bear didn't get that. Yeah, this. exactly, exactly. So I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So I, well, Tyrus, I mean, I, I'm so you are the, probably the most informed 
person, media person, I, I think I've ever talked to, and what you were just saying a few minutes ago, I've never heard a reporter that was that well-oriented on the subject matter. I mean, they'll think if there's just one creature and they don't, the Patterson, I mean, they just don't know. So I'm impressed. And well, that, that's great. That you have. Just a little bit before we get into your background. So I was a uh, zoologist major in college, but football and um, going to the bar kind of made <laughs> yeah. it tough to make labs. So I made, <laughs> I made a choice, but my passion um, for animals goes well beyond, especially in the fossil remains and stuff like that. That was another thing too. I wasn't real big on the dissection of zoology. I was like, I don't really want to cut them open. I just want to observe them and report. Can I just be that guy in the field? And they're like, well, you have to do this first. So uh, David Attenborough, uh, Sir David Attenborough, I don't think I've missed it. So I've always been interested in that. And the first time I saw that video, I didn't look at it through a prism of like a child who was like, it was a unicorn. Uh, it just looked to me like a natural event. And so as I got older and you look in, especially during the time which I would argue probably they were at their height would have been right around the time when man was kind of figuring out sticks and stones and, and whatnot. And we had woolly mammoths and the woolly rhino and we had uh, a lot of different examples. And if you look at just history, like if you want to, you want to take sightings out, let's just say there's no sightings, but if you just go into history, when you look at history about nature and the environment from Indian groups that in native American groups, who had no way of ever being in contact with each other, just impossible, have the same exact creature in all their folklore. And with the exception of anything else, now if it was a, a Bigfoot was a, a different species of elephant, there would be no, there would be no argument. Absolutely no argument. So uh, because it's a hominid of some sort, I, I don't deny its existence. Is it still with us today? We can have that argument. Well, but. and also, I think another thing, too, is as you, as you, as you said, you've never missed an episode, right? right? But I remember you said you were, you know, if you, if you don't know this, Matt, you know, Tyrus is quite big. <laughs> so yeah. He was watching with his daughter and she was looking at the screen and, and looking, looking over it. Yeah. <laughs> so. She was trying to take oh, casts of, yeah. she was trying to take casts of my footprints in the yeah. backyard one day. Yeah. <laughs> I was her. I was her third oh, grade project. Boy. Second she grade had her project. Theory. Yeah. Right. yeah, I was part Sasquatch, and I didn't. And, and I didn't let her down. And, and I, I got to ask you this. I got to ask you this, Tyrus, because I think you have an advantage, uh, an unusual advantage over most people. Like when you look, probably looked at the Patterson footage for the first time. Maybe just more of an instinctual basis, you could look and you could tell that thing's carrying a lot of muscle. Yeah, that just that anatomy is is much different than just like you put somebody in a gorilla costume. No, that's a, that's got big like just you know you know anatomy and you just got that sense like I did the first time I saw that like that's an animal. That's not somebody a person in a costume. That's got huge arms and thick legs and and the muscles are moving, uh, you know, which you wouldn't see through a costume. Right, and just the movement, the the head movement. It was very, um, I think it it recognized them as a threat. But um, not to the point where it felt it needed to flight. It just stayed on its path. It, it it just kind of acknowledged and kept going. So, which maybe lead led me to believe that perhaps it was a distraction. So, um, but you just have to look at other animal behavior. That's the the best I can look at it. But um, cats actually are are residential uh, investigative journalists. She right. actually went to school for that. I, I'm a detective. I'm just <laughs> a dog chasing wheels who they've allowed to have a. a, a microphone but um yeah matt i mean it says in your bio here 
you know, he got involved, you know, in Bigfoot Sasquatch research while attending UCLA in the 1980s. I'm sure a lot of people got into a lot of different things at UCLA in the 80s and in the 80s in general. And co- I got into things in college that, you know, I'm no longer into. What, like, <laughs> why? To, that makes sense to get in super into Bigfoot into college, but then to make Bigfoot your life's passion, that's a lot more than just something you get into in college. Why Bigfoot? Well, it was, I was very interested in the subject since I saw the documentaries in the early 70s. Yeah. Then when I went to show somebody from Europe who'd never heard of the subject, I I was trying to find a book and just by coincidence met somebody who said they knew some witnesses from that had seen one in a mountain range not far north of Los Angeles. And I was like, oh, my God, they might be that close. And then I went up there, found a guy to backpack up in there, and we found tracks, fresh tracks and heard sounds. And so then I was like, oh, my God, they're really they're real and they're here. And here's these we're not terribly far from millions of people who have no idea that that's out there. And when they find out, it's going to blow their minds. Yeah. So it was at that point that and that was in college. So that event happened while I was there. And then I'm like. This is, I mean, again, after even talking to the witnesses, these guys were Vietnam vets. They both saw it like walking around and they said it had to be nine feet tall. And because it walked right by a rock formation. And these were, again, former soldiers and they weren't messing around. Totally. Uh, and so I, and then when we found tracks up there and we heard sound, they're like, yeah, those guys weren't lying. Yeah. But the thing about it is they don't stay like you can't just like i couldn't bring up a whole bunch of people and go back to that same little valley in the mountains and expect they'd be there because they move around they're kind of nomadic and that's probably the major thing that's prevented them from being like surreptitiously photographed etc because unlike the gorillas in africa they're not going back to the same part of the same mountainside every day they're moving around and it's probably because yeah. they follow deer herds yeah i just think it's I mean, I'm certainly not a person to think, oh, just because I've never seen something, that that doesn't mean it isn't real. And just because some sort of a creature hasn't been, like, fully discoverable, that doesn't mean it isn't real. I just think it's awesome in a way. As, and I'm admittedly not as knowledgeable on the subject as Tyra, certainly not as, as you are, to be, like, a guy that was into Bigfoot in college and then be like, Bigfoot's my thing. I'm sure people must have shit on you for that. And you showed them, you know? They're probably not on TV. You're, you really oh, yeah. did. You showed them. You you succeeded in being the Bigfoot guy. So I just congratulations and, and, for that. I mean, that's just like an inspiration of anybody, you know, who, who's, you know, gets into it, something yeah. to stick with it. <laughs> Was there a time um, that you were ever thinking, uh, you know what, I'm just I, I, I'm throwing my hands up because the, the opposition can be very extremely fierce. Um, yeah. And, and, we, and yeah. And, and the, the difficult period was. In between the time that I found the tracks and then heard them, and then there was a few years of going after them and then again, finding more tracks, hearing them more, talking to more witnesses, but not actually having a face-to-face encounter with one like so many witnesses had. And so finally, when I was in Ohio in 1994, I was staking out a swamp that we had figured out was probably where some were coming out of because of all the sightings around the swamp, which is kind of surrounded by you know farm fields. Uh, and it was a wildlife nature preserve. But we went in there late at night in the summertime. And one, I mean, to make a long story short, one walked out of the tree line about 15 or 20 feet away and stood there growling at me until I walked away from it, which is usually not the way it happens. But it was like kind of holding its ground growling. So I finally had that visual. 
And that lifted such a weight of like, cause you're always gonna have a little bit of doubt. Even if you pursue them and hear them and find their tracks, it's not until you see one. And to, are you absolutely okay? Yeah, you, everybody who, who denies it is wrong because you saw one yourself, and there it is. And and so after that, it was it made it a lot easier because I knew a hundred percent. Wow. Yeah, and at that point, I mean, you can't you can't be convinced what your eyes have seen. I mean, once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. Um, right. Yeah, and and then it becomes almost amusing when you're hearing pundits or scientists try to explain to you why it's impossible. <laughs> well, if we've, laughing, if like, we've learned, logic is if we've learned anything in this pandemic, uh, <laughs> science is not always accurate, and scientists is become people. A, are people who yeah. have biases and their own feelings and their own their own stuff like that. Because here's the thing: I like I always try to avoid the argument by trying to find a common fact. And for me, the biggest fingerprint, other than actually seeing them is the historic information left by Native American tribes all across this country. And you can go into North America, South America, Australia, uh, Asia. There is an un... uh, You cannot argue when the drawings are literally exactly the same, with the only variance being coloration of... like There seem to be lighter in the colder climates and and the darker and the thing. But... What stood out for me was when you were going through Explorers and uh, at the time, and this is, we know this now because apparently every person who's white is an oppressor. So, you know, there you go, bruh. Um, When America was being colonized and when the first Explorers were coming in, Native Americans also informed them what forests they could go into and what ones they could not go into for very good reason. Um, And then I can't remember... Up, especially in the Oregon Trails area, one explorer was adamant about he wanted to go in there. And then they said, if you go in, you're not coming out. We have an agreement. We have an alliance. We don't hunt in that forest or we get hunted. And um, you don't hear much about the aggressive uh, side of Bigfoot. But it sounds like back then uh, there was a lot of aggression. Have you been able to uncover a lot of stories like that where you hear about the territorial and uh but do you think that changed with the movement of mankind becoming such a big population? Well, a- aggression is kind of a nuanced thing when it comes to Bigfoots. <clears throat> because what they'll, instead of, you would think in terms of aggression of them coming up and directly attacking you. And what they would do to convince both natives and people today, like hunters in various areas, they will just scare them, spook them without even showing themselves and really put the fear of God into people of thinking that those woods are haunted. And since they do that today, clearly they've been doing that in the past and they did that with natives, but like in, in the middle of the night or whatever, like little rocks coming through the trees and hitting you. So you don't know, or, or the more intimidating is like, if you hear them tearing a tree apart. So very similar to like if you see a chimpanzee throwing a warning display or a gorilla beating on his chest. It's just that swarm of like, hey, I've reached my right. limit. You need to go away. The other side exactly. of it is if you continue. Now with chimps who are extremely aggressive, uh, you stay too long, you're going to lose your face. But uh, we haven't had any that I've heard of recent like physical attacks, biting or dismemberment. or Because easily something that could tear a tree can easily take a socket out of an arm. 
And that's what what I was always so impressed by these things because they definitely hunt deer. They could definitely pull you limb from limb. They could tear you apart. And so when they're breaking huge branches off the trees, that's kind of what they're telling you when they're doing that. But they choose not to like, to get too close to you. I think think that's from a a higher form of intelligence. I think it it, it may be just basically because the the people, human activity, they would have been able to watch most often and for a long time observe is hunters in the woods. They would have seen hunters stalking through the woods in their deer stand, and they probably get the idea after a while that humans carry these things that go bang and then a deer drops dead. So they're, you know, and then a lot of times if they see that happening, would have seen it happening near roads late at night, poachers out there in the dark spotlighting from a road and shooting deer. So I think they would have gotten the sense that like humans are dangerous and and yeah, don't don't expose yourself to them. Don't let them see you. So even when you're circling around a camp and throwing things and making noises, et cetera, you're still far back enough. They're still far back that if you turn on a spotlight, you won't see them because they'll there's they put enough of a barrier. So yeah, that's intelligence. And they for their environment and their lifestyle, their intelligence is at least as good as humans. I mean, because these are very big animals. They have very large heads. And so in that large head, which is kind of dome shaped, they have very large brains. Their brains may even be bigger than humans because everything else on them is bigger. So you wouldn't have like a tiny brain and such a big head. Do you think so they that- know who you are? No. Really? No, uh, Does that make no, you I sad? Mean, I would think they, you know what? I, and I'm making, I know Devin had a question, but that's a, such a, because I was, no, that is a lot that's of the artwork question. that you see from Native Americans, especially the further you get away from colonization, you see them as part of their environment. You see them part They're of part the farming. Of the There's even one picture, which I love, where, where it showed that they were being taught by Bigfoot as far as, what plants to grow in it. And it was this great picture of, of a Sasquatch that had was garden, was farming with them. Like he was a part Alongside. of the environment. So my question would be if there was a, a, an event like that, and then you had the, the brutalness of colonization, which led to a slaughter of a lot of the native Americans, they, they witnessed all of that and passed that information from generation to generation that, the pale face is to be avoided at all costs because a lot of these Indian community, Native American communities were completely wiped out. I mean, completely wiped out. And I would imagine that quite a few um, probably met their ends because, again, we don't get a lot of history of what was here before what we see in modern day. But the woolly mammoth, the woolly rhino, the sloth, the saber tooth, the entire family of saber tooth is wiped out. The North American lion, like all these different animals that were around the same time uh, to support these giant uh, ecosystems were all wiped out. So it's not surprising that a, uh, a hominid could have witnessed a similar fate or to the point where they've just gone completely where the, they've changed. We've seen it with uh, with big cats where um, certain prides of lion don't group anymore because – it's too dangerous. So you see solitary or you'll see animals all of a sudden like cheetahs because they're there's, they're all grouping together now out of fear. So you see behavior changes in animals all the time. So if they're a higher, uh, which I believe they are, uh, they're, I would imagine they're constantly changing and avoiding. And we don't realize how much real estate is in this country that's untouched. 
And I think we get confused sometimes because we're like, well, wouldn't we see him just walking through New York City or something like that? Right. Don't you dare touch that dial. And if you do have a dial, you need an upgrade. We'll be right back. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. You had a question? That was actually part of my question. So, Matt, um, I did have a question. Going back to what you were talking about with their nomadic lifestyle, is that part of their survival instinct of, like, keep moving, don't be seen because, you know, they're nocturnal as well? Or is it kind of like a? it's been passed down for generations that they saw these, you know, killings potentially and, you know, they're just they're they're on the move into these, you know, deserted lands uh, to steer clear of humans? uh, Those are probably factors, but I think the main thing driving it is they're just, they need to find the food and they need to keep up with the the food supply. And if you're a predator following herds, the herds don't stay in the same place. They move around. And and so you have to follow those. But in the course of doing that, you got to steer clear of humans. And if humans come into your area, then you check out because you know they're not going to stick around forever. So you leave for a while. And if it's real sensitive, then you try to scare them away. So they'll, they like to be in places where they can be away from people, but those are also the places that are full of animals and deer. So that they, you know, so there's reasons that are pulling them in that direction and, and reasons that are pushing them in that direction. But yeah, food, them being in places, they like to be in places where there's a lot of animals around. And those are places where there's not a ton of people around, but they don't need a vast area for that. There's pockets of land where you have enough streams and repairing environment and swamp where you'll have tons of animals right outside a small town a few miles away. And they can live in a place like that as long as it's really difficult to get into that terrain where they have kind of a sanctuary where if people were to try to get near them, they at least make a lot of noise in the process. And that's what kind of allows them to keep a buffer. If you're in real, real thick environment, anybody trying to get to them, I don't care how much of like a stealth commando you are, you're going to break some brush and make some noise getting near them. And they can well, plus you have a get smell. away. You can't really hide your smell. I mean, you can try with different things. Now let me, let's, let's get weird for a minute. All right. Because, uh, yeah. In the spirit of Halloween, let's talk about some of the conspiracy theories because this new one I really like. So uh, on Discovery Channel, uh, I watched – oh, it's the Alaskan word for Numuk. Oh, gosh, I forgot. Anyways, it was – he. This <laughs> it depends, partic- depends on which part of Alaska. Was it Nunuk, I think it was Nanook. Nanook. Yeah. Okay. And this was a completely aggressive Bigfoot uh, or at least a species of it. To which they had connected it to UFOs, basically saying that it was able to appear and not appear and was um, using sounds and, and lights. Technology wouldn't work around it. Uh, cameras would malfunction. Photographers would get sick. Um, some of the, the elders and the, the, entire, the entire town basically vacated. And it was a very – it was a, a fish canning uh, factory, so it supported an entire uh, village of people. They all left it, and now they're trying to come back and claim it. But the elders are like, "You can't go back there because of Nanook, basically." So there's this contingent. There's this, and so this led to this whole new thing where Bigfoots are actually part of the UFO phenomenon, 
whether they're sent down to explore and give back information and then go away. They go back up in the ship and go away, mm-hmm. and that's why we can't physically see them. So I was – What do you, have you heard this yet? Have you heard the connection to this yet? And and it's kind of wild, but now what we're hearing about UFOs, all of a sudden UFOs are apparently here every damn day. So is that is that as far-fetched a conspiracy theory? I mean, they're not saying it's like going – Horseback riding with Loch Ness on the weekends. It's not we've got <laughs> haven't got to that point yet, but uh, I do find that interesting that, that how they're bringing that connection in. Well, that theory that talk about or, or the question of whether or not they could be connected with UFOs that's been around for decades. Okay, and there have been some authors who have you know kind of handpicked second or third hand stories and collected them into a book that kind of gave that impression. But when we started the inter- when the internet was brand new in the mid 1990s, we started taking in reports from the public. And one of the things we were watchful for is how many people are going to say, tell us a story that somehow has a connection with UFO stuff, because of course it's possible. I mean, if ghosts are real and, and UFOs are real and Bigfoot's are real, then there could, of course, be a connection. And the only thing that people would describe, witnesses, and I'm talking thousands of reports over decades, the only things that people would report fairly consistently that's even slightly in that direction is they would see smallish orbs uh, in the same vicinity. But not like, you know, a UFO landing and a big, you know, ramp come down and a Bigfoot walks off the ramp. No, nothing like that. No. Like small orbs. But then it's like small orbs. What are, you know, what the hell are those? Are those connected with UFOs or are they more like ghosts? Well, according so to Skinwalker of- Ranch, uh, those are entities of energy that can expand and expand. So something that looks small can expand to like 500 times its size. So I guess that's how they're able to travel through uh, space. Like I said, I, I I saw Skinwalker. I thought it was going to be some kind of connection, but it was. Uh, what if there's a ghost of a Bigfoot? Well, that's, I'm sure there see, was. It's funny you say that. <laughs> okay. and it sounds silly, but <laughs> no, that you know because if there are ghosts and they're in the shape of humans and they're not just like kind of you know a bit of the past that's being replayed in the present, but actually interactive with people. As if like, you know, people are there and they're doing things. So if that's a thing, if that happens, then it could happen with these things as well. Could there you might be imagine ghosts of them that and, show? Tyrus, Tim, and Moneymaker, Ghostfoot. Bigfoot, like, ghost hunting. <laughs> Ghostfoot. Like I... I already want to. I already want to pack up and just take. Let's just go. Let's we're, go. We're taking it on up the road. North. Let's just go out there for a week yeah. and see what happens. Uh, worst case scenario, I get sworn in. You guys send a note to my kids. I'll leave them a map where they can meet me at with the tribe. But um, so that, not, is interesting, that is an interesting. Yeah. concept. Go well, ahead. I'll tell you what. What would be fun to do with you guys? I mean, this would be great because okay. there's Bigfoot's not far north from where you're at. But there's a place called Fonstock State Park in uh, uh, near the Hudson River. And it's right across the Hudson River from West Point Military Academy. So it'd be Ooh. great to take a couple of those guys out, like hook up cameras to them and just like make them walk around in that state park, which is very big and very spooky. Make well, that's them what walk we have Devin for. Yeah, well, Devin will do Devin it. I'll go through it. the woods. Yeah. Well, Matt, that leads me to my next question, actually, which is perfect. Um, you... In your on your website, it has a couple of different areas where you know thing, uh, Bigfoot has been spotted throughout the years. Is there a specific 
area or um, part of the country or part of the world that is more prone to Bigfoot sightings than others because, you know, you have like Indonesia on there and, you know, we've been talking about Native Americans seeing them, you know, is that, is it more like open, untouched land? Like what, what exactly, where do Bigfoot exactly congregate? The apparent range, if you were to track reports and modern legends, as opposed to like ancient legends that are just written down, but modern legends where people are still talking about it and where there's actually modern eyewitnesses that are accessible. If you trace where those happened, it's Southeast Asia and Australia, then going north into East Asia. And the furthest west it gets is the Himalayas with the Yeti. Right. But you can go straight up into China and then it's the Ye Ren and then into Siberia and then you're over into North America. So it's basically the same part of the world that Native Americans came from. You know, they were their ancestors. They were, you know, Siberian in origin uh, and they crossed that path. Uh, But it doesn't seem because we really, really were hoping that there'd be good witnesses and good sightings in South America or even Mexico. I remember there was pressure on me. It's like, we got to do an episode in Mexico. And I'm like, hey, man, I would love to find one Bigfoot researcher in Mexico or just somebody who wrote a web page about sightings that we could trace to witnesses. But it seems like they, you know, if you're talking about biogeography, it seems like they came over the land bridge just like the Native Americans did. They walked here at one time during the Ice Age. But and if they would have been dependent upon forest cover, uh, then they wouldn't have gotten much further south than like the mountains of San Diego County, because that's the furthest south you get before you're in Sonora Desert Mm. uh, until you're going a lot of Sonora Desert and no trees and no water until you get to like the tropical parts of Mexico. So they need some sort of cover and, you know, obviously food source, but they need they like to be covered and hidden and things like that. Yeah, they're not going to be able to survive like in the summertime out in the desert, uh, you know, uh, under the sun, they seem more averse to heat than to cold. They seem, you know, very, very suited to deal with the cold. But heat, if if they're living in areas that do get real hot, like in Florida, they're always near water and springs. It seems that, that they can get into, just sit in and cool off. Yeah, well, with all their hair, think, well, right? yeah, they're furry, <laughs> exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah, they don't want to get overheated. But so yeah, I think the Sonora Desert is a barrier. And then the sorts of places they're at are again places where there's just there's because if you were to if you were to create a map, you know, you can create a map showing where the human population density is. And when you do that, it's certainly not even across the whole continent. There's some places where there's a whole lot more than others. Well, it's the same thing with mammal populations. There's a lot of places where they're very concentrated, and most areas they're they're very sparse. If you're talking about larger mammals. So it's those areas where the large mammals, especially deer, are very concentrated. And that's what you would expect from a predator, something that follows around herds and goes after them. And these things do that. They do it in the dark. Sometimes people see them picking up roadkill deer off the side of a highway and walking away with it. But it's the the deer element that seems to determine where they're at. And so where there's a ton of deer, especially corn-fed deer, which are nice and fat. And like, if you're going after them in fall, that's going to help you fatten up, which is, you know, just money to you. You want to have as much fat as you can. You know, you're out in the woods, in the cold. Uh, You want to have that through the winter. So 
yeah, deer, corn, acorn areas are are where you can expect they'll be. But th there's a lot of places like that where they're not around. But if there's a bunch of sightings in the area, then you want to look for the mammal concentrations. And that's where if you go in there and you make their sounds, very often you'll hear them reply to those sounds. You won't want to miss what's next right after this. So I have a question because you talk a lot about the 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 carnivore aspect of things, but the, I, I've heard a lot of theories that they they have a, a wide ranging diet and it's a lot of uh, like yeah, other hominids. So, I, so I, see, I'm careful not to say carnivore. Uh, right. They're predatory, but not carnivorous. They'd be right. omnivorous, like humans or bears. They, you know, bears will eat anything they can. They'll, but they'll eat meat. Like a, a big cat and a wolf, though, is purely carnivorous. Right, yeah. They they don't eat plants. So we think they're they're like humans or bears in that regard, omnivorous. You would think you would get more reports uh, from farmers of stuff missing once uh, in certain areas, but then again, I guess they always just kind of blame it on the deer or, or bears or right. Uh, and you do get reports. There are plenty of reports of them. You know, where it would seem because of tracks found and a missing like huge pig that you have to live lift over a six foot fence uh, and things like that. Those do happen occasionally i mean there is a pattern but it's not like it would be with wolves right or, or big cats where yeah, they would just right. tar target the livestock because right. they don't have to look around for them plus but you would expect it'd be he'd be a lot more they'd be a lot more aggressive um because they would like right. if they don't know they'd eat it and, and it really seems about their aggression is it's like they don't need to be directly confrontational and fighting because they're they're just so intimidating without doing much I mean, if they just show themselves, they break a big branch, they do kind of a rumble growl. It's as if they know that some deep instinctual part of your mind, you can tell that's a very, very big animal just well, by the, some of the sounds they make. And that's enough to make you say, you know what, we got to leave. And that happens all the time. That happens every week somewhere in North America that they're spooking people out of a campsite. Well, okay, so you, for over a decade... Uh, you had a very successful TV show on Animal Planet, um, and I don't think—I honestly don't think I missed an episode. And when it's on rerun, it'll just run in, in my hotel room. Uh, what's next for you? And do you stay in touch with your colleagues? Because it's like it's just like a marriage. Like TV shows are like marriages, and when it ends, a lot of times it's like a complete divorce, and you don't see anybody anymore. Um, and then there's the other side of it where you end up becoming friends for life. But sometimes in a I would say in a high stake search, like a treasure hunt or, you know, anything like that, because obviously it would be, I would argue, with the exception of the new species of chimpanzees that were just found, um, I would say it would be just, and because it has nothing else like it, uh, it would be the discovery of a lifetime um, and would change a lot of the evolutionary paths that we that we've come to know and because we're learning so much every every year, something new. Like we we found out that most um, Neanderthals weren't eradicated; they were just bred out. You know, it's just you know, and so there was a little bit of Neanderthal in everybody. So it'd be <laughs> interesting to see if there was ever a time where there was a crossing, or there was ever a time where it was stuff like that. And that can't happen until you're able to get the DNA and and see uh, the history or whatever. So with that amount of pressure. And uh, I think it was 11 years, but that's a long time and extremely frustrating because you guys came close on a lot of occasions. And there, and I always kind of, you always seem to want to push the dime a little more 
you want to spend you wanted an extra hour or an extra day and I don't always feel like across the board it was always it was always reciprocated not that I'm trying to stir mess or anything like that <laughs> but now that you know because some people give up you know some people are like we did everything we could and I'm closing that chapter and that's like I don't like I said that's a that's a common thing what's next for you like what is your plan because you had a very successful show and what's kept you going yes yeah what's yeah. kept you yeah. right well let me explain it's it's I guess it's the perception that people have that we tried for 11 years and we never quote found one. No, you had lots of physical, you had lots of evidence. I mean, the only thing you didn't have was sitting next to you. Pretty close to us. Yeah. I mean, you didn't, uh, unfortunately the audio didn't come through on so many occasions where, where it was like either too windy or, I mean, they did have the audio, but it was kind of faint. But if you had been there with us, it was obvious to everyone, including the crew that we got pretty close to them a few times with them trying to spook us out. Right. Uh, and we just didn't get them on camera with a the thermal. And that's because we're almost always in pretty thick brush. But we investigated a lot of uh, pieces of video and, uh, you know, photos and stuff like that. Uh, trail cam stuff uh, where people did get it. But during the time that we were there, we felt pretty like it was a pretty damn good achievement that like right. more than half the time we were able to narrow it down close enough to figure out an area where they were going to respond. And if you've been out as many times as we have, and you've heard all the night animals so many times, I've probably heard coyotes because I've gotten them to respond in more places, more times than maybe any man on earth from Canada, because I was doing this a long time before uh, right. the long time before the show. Anyway, we know, intimately what coyotes and owls sound like and these animals sound very distinct so we know when we hear them and so even if we didn't get them on camera among ourselves we were pretty satisfied that we figured out likely habitats that might not be good like all the time but yeah here we found a place where some of them are around and we know that like jane goodall there was a population of chimpanzees that her people they they were pursuing them for years and for three years, they could hear them in the distance, in the trees, in the jungle around this particular lake. And they would try to get close to them to get them on camera. And these things evaded them. They couldn't get them on camera. But again, they were kind of chasing because they hear them. So it's a definition of, well, did they find them? You know, just they didn't get them on camera. But yeah, they kind of knew where they were. And eventually they did get them on camera. But it took a long time. Uh, it was because the, the the chimps were up in the trees and they could hear people coming through the woods and they would just move away. And so these things are, are very similar. They're, they live in very quiet environments. And so for you to try to get in there and get close to them, especially during the day, they'll get away from you. So your only hope is that if you can attract them to you and you can figure out the path that they're probably going to use to circle around your camp or they're coming near a rural property repeatedly, which happens sometimes. And you, most of the time, people freak out and they put up lights and they, they do everything to try to scare the things away. Well, because we I'm, say, I'm oh, assuming no. that's probably where the boogeyman came from, <laughs> the man in the forest. That, oh, know, yeah. I'm sure there's a lot that, of, uh, since, it's a Holly, since Halloween, this is when this is going to air, I'm sure there was a lot of, like the first costume might have been Sasquatch. You know what I'm saying? Like that, Right. You know, because... You walk out in the dark. Art imitates life, yeah. right? Yeah. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sure the Bigfoots would want it that way because that's what they want to do. They want you to think, okay, we're out there in the woods. Certainly don't come out in the dark out in the woods because they'll back off during the day and it seems like they're acting like the night belongs to them. 
Uh, so yeah, they they'd want you to be afraid of the boogeyman. Yeah, I I can remember years ago. I was when I was in the WWE. Uh, me and Mark Henry were at. I went to the zoo and different occasions. And when I sat down next to the gorilla enclosure, I just remember the gorilla walked up like, "How'd you get out?" Like he literally <laughs> was just on the grass going, yeah, what, like, like, "What are you?" <laughs> You think yeah. I don't see you because you send, shaved? Like, yeah. I see you. We you gotta know? send Tyrus out into yeah. the woods and, and, and see if and they, they just kind of go, Oh, shit. what is that? Yeah. Uh, see if they accept you as their own. You you know? then. I feel like, yeah, I feel like he was basing me up and down. Like, as soon as that grows out, you're back uh, in here. We with get us, that you did a full <laughs> body yeah, wax, yeah, yeah. You sell out. Like, but uh, yeah, I think the traps, I think my traps are, are Bigfoot esque, but um, I'm actually. <laughs> Uh, Jamie Lislau, who's a comedian or whatever, he was he asked me if there was ever a movie I want to come up with, and I was like, "Yeah, I want to do a movie about uh, a love affair between it was a Sasquatch and a woman from the '70s, and they had a child, and he's now a scientist in New York, but being <laughs> pursued by um, a Bigfoot hunter who's lost his entire life, and he finally found their lair. It was like a Polaroid or something, like something burnt up or whatever. But um, it's." I like the fact that it's becoming more of a conversation. Uh, people are the, we're seeing a lot more open minds than we've seen in, in many years. And I think a lot of that has to do with what's going on with UFOs, and and we're starting to see that you know things aren't always what they appear. So, um, so you know, so what's next for you? Like, I mean, because you've got you've had some time to think. Obviously. Um, with it becoming well, official, the anniversary, it's an official holiday now, correct? Or is it an official day of recognition, uh, October well, 20th? It, it, it is being more increasingly recognized October 20th as Sasquatch Awareness Day because it's the anniversary of the Patterson footage. So Bigfooters have always kind of done events on October 20th for a long time. And of course, there's that iconic image of what that represents. But then uh, there was a petition put on change.org and it, like last year and it got some signatures. And then reporters started asking me or one in particular up in Seattle started saying, well, the anniversary is coming up and Sasquatch, you know, Sasquatch Awareness Day. What does would that mean to you or what should it mean? And of course, I put that out. I have a ton of followers on, on Facebook and got all this input back of like, yeah, they should show some of the early documentaries in schools. You know, because it's a wildlife thing. It's not a political thing. Right. It, you know, it's about legends. It's pretty. Hey, if you can have subject. pronouns in school, one of them can be Bigfoot. Okay, I'm all exactly. for that. Exactly. Yeah. Because you'll learn so, more about. Here's the thing about not to cut you off, but here's the thing about if you're gonna go research Bigfoot, you're going to learn about forestry. You're going to learn about the environment. You're going to the ecosystem. Deer migrating pattern. We learned that. about deer migrating patterns Rabbits, today. Uh, boar. I mean, there's so much in their environment. Yeah. And. You, you will it's one of those things where you start out trying to learn one thing and then when it all is done all of a sudden you're a naturalist because you're looking like oh right. these are berries and this time of year this is a good time to go out for a walk is a chance that you might hear one or see evidence of one going through berries or you know all oh, the salmon are running at this time of year so hey if we set up sound down by the river there's a chance we might actually hear some actual um hunting or sounds or whatever so i mean it, you learn your environment then you got a good chance you can't obviously you're you can't predict um their pattern but you can put yourself in a good situation based on the environment i think so uh are you gonna pursue another tv venture or are you well, taking some we're time pursuing now <clears throat> no it, it's what we're trying to do now is we actually did a successful test of this in ohio is we're doing these events where we're having thermal drones 
drones with thermal imaging cameras flying over Bigfoot hotspots. And we can pipe that live feed back to like a conference room at a lodge where a couple hundred people could sit there and watch on a big screen, kind of like mission control. Uh, and so we're, we want to take that around to places because an area, you know, a thermal, as you've seen, like, you know, Bill it's changed oceanography. The drones have changed. We're seeing behaviors from whales and sharks and uh, stuff that you would never see before. And now we're actually seeing it now, you know, especially right. with killer whale pods. We're seeing how much they how much they eat great whites and everything else in the ocean. Um, but you see mi migratory patterns and behaviors that normally you would never see because uh, once the boat the ship shows up, the animal's behavior changes. So the drones are now, uh, they have the, their, their awareness has not caught up to the technology. So it's an exciting time. So a drone might be the way that actual, uh, an actual sighting on video or thermal imaging probably will come at the hands of a drone just because uh, until they figure it out. And I guarantee you they'll, it won't take long for them to figure it out. But. And that's true. And they can kind of d diminish that potential them figuring out by like, yeah, you fly the drone without the lights on. You have ones that have kind of quiet blades. Yep. But it's the marrying of the drone technology with the thermal, high-res thermal imaging technology, and then having those things get cheap enough so that civilians can use them too, as opposed to just military and law enforcement. But that's why you guys have, you know, get Fox gets great thermal drone video out of the border. Bill Malusian, your your people get you know all that stuff going on down there. They're having great thermal shots, and I know the drone that they're using. So we, you know, you wouldn't you, you wouldn't be able to see that activity in the dark without that technology and without being above it. But the subjects that are being filmed in that situation in the dark, they just don't realize that they are on camera. Right, and, so you and might so see we some really natural behavior that you would never normally and, see, and, and not just ten seconds of one running away. Right. Once you're on it, you're on it. It, it cannot run away. You, I mean, unless it goes into a cave or under seriously thick brush, which it probably wouldn't because it, even if it hears the drone or perceives it's there, it probably doesn't understand that there's a camera. And, and, and so it needs to be out of you with the camera. It probably wouldn't understand that at all. In fact, I've thought that if that happens, it's going to stand there and kind of peek around a tree and look up at trying to figure out what's making that kind of beehive sound in the sky. So, but yeah, especially if you have multiple drones, that's the way to do it uh, where they can't get away. And we could pipe that back live and people tell you, they're in the audience. They are so just entranced, you know, once they know it's live and you're seeing deer and rabbits, like all the, you know, the, the mammals stand out really bright against the cold background in a thermal image. So anyway, that's what I'm doing. We're going to try to, we're going to do it up in Tillamook. Well, I just talked yesterday. We're going to be doing it in Texas next year, a few places around the country. So yeah, I don't want to get, I did the TV show assuming that with all the gear and all the help that we had, it would help us to get footage, not realizing it actually was in a lot of ways, a hindrance, right? Because there's no way you can do a TV show without some kind of lights on. And if nothing else, it's your producers walking around, their smartphones glowing while they're taking notes, you know, so to be able to apply some technology and a technique that really will help us get good footage without the hindrance of cameras all over our shoulder and following everybody around, uh, yeah, I'd like to do that for a while. See what 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 how, if that well, yields. You gotta something. let me know when you go out to Texas or whatever. I'd love to come check that out. So uh, yeah, keep me posted. Oh, you'll dig it.
Matt, thank you so much for all of your information. Thank I feel you. like we learned so much today. If more people, more listeners want to learn about you or learn about more about Bigfoot, uh, where can they find you? Where can they get more information? At the website for the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, which is www.bfro.net. Awesome. Thank you so much. And we really appreciate your time. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. And thank please keep you. in touch. All right, we'll do. Thank you, guys. All right. For more podcasts like this, <laughs> just like this, you can check us out at foxnewspodcast.com. We are uh, Team Bigfoot now, right? We're Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we're going to go sit in the middle of the woods and see what we can knock on a tree and see what happens. All right. I know what I'm doing this weekend. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm Tyrus. This is the I'm Tim. Catherine Tim. Enough said. Enough said. Listen ad-free with Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.